One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. the podcast in Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is either Wednesday, May 12th, 2021, or Thursday, May 13th, 2021. Whatever it is, I hope you're having a great day. Here is why this is such a bizarre Aaron Torres sports podcast, okay? So I am heading on vacation, and I know nobody feels sorry for me. You guys all work hard. Everybody deserves some time off this time of year. I am heading on vacation, and I recorded a full episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast about 1 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, getting ready to leave. And then as soon as I was done, I saw that Ty Ty Washington, a five-star guard who was set to commit on Saturday. Oh, he just decided, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to commit on Thursday night. So we are going to open the show. Ty Ty Washington has officially committed to Kentucky. Uh, I am going to talk a little bit about that. We will transition to what it means, big picture, all that stuff. Also, another five-star player, Patrick Baldwin, committed on uh, on uh, uh, on Wednesday, I'll talk a little bit about that. We will take a quick break, talk about some co- college football, football topics in general. I actually am very fired up about the Tim Tebow news. I wouldn't normally talk Tim Tebow on this show, but this is that time of year where I can kind of expand. I can do different topics that I wouldn't normally do. Tim Tebow is, of course, a college football icon, so I'll talk a little bit about the signing with the Jaguars. The internet is on fire frustrated, angry, mad, and I just don't get the anger and vitriol for Tim Tebow. We'll talk a little bit about that. And we will wrap on, frankly, a little bit of a down note as uh, Colt Brennan, who is, frankly, a college football icon, Heisman Trophy finalist, elite, elite, elite quarterback at Hawaii in the early to mid-2000s. He passed away tragically on Thursday. and just want to give him uh, a moment of recognition because he was truly a college football icon. And so, yeah, loaded show, Tebow, Colt Brennan, and, of course, Ty Ty Washington, what it means for Kentucky and Patrick Baldwin's commitment as the number four player in high school basketball. All right, but before we get to uh, the meat of today's show, I want to welcome in a new sponsor, Prize Picks. The NBA playoffs start in less than a week, and there is no better way to watch your favorite college hoopers over the last several years, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Kemba Walker, Trey Young, whoever, than by playing daily fantasy with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and just pits you against the numbers. Whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual basketball fan looking to add some excitement to the games, Prize Picks is the perfect game for you. You simply select two players and predict if they will go over or under the projections. So basically, Devin Booker's playing, Trey Young's playing, uh, Clay Thompson is injured, but Steph Curry is playing, and you think Steph's going over 38 points? You can actually bet on that with real money. Here's actually what I'm playing Wednesday night. So Wednesday night is actually a loaded NBA slate because, of course, the NBA season is coming to an end, and I saw that the Trey Young over-under is 27.5 points, and 
baby, I hammered the over there. You know why? Because all Trey Young does is shoot. Guy can't stop shooting. Remember at Oklahoma when he took 37 shots, he went like 11 for 37 from the field. Everyone was like, oh my God, Trey Young is so inc-. No, he's not. He just shoots a lot. So Trey Young over 27 and a half points. That is my official play for Wednesday with prize picks. By the way, one thing I will say about prize picks, I love the payout structure as it gives you the chance to win 10 times your money by getting four out of your five predictions correct. So this is what you need to do. You need to go download the Prize Picks app or visit prizepicks.com and sign up using the code Torres. Again, this is real daily fantasy with real money on the line. Prizepicks.com and the Prize Picks apps use promo code Torres and you get an, an instant 100% bonus of up to $100 with your first deposit. Don't forget that is Prize Pick, that's the Prize Picks app or prizepicks.com. Use the code Torres to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your former college hoops favorites, whether it's Kemba Walker, Devin Booker, Trey Young. Take it to another level, prizepicks.com, as we get set for the NBA playoffs. Again, I'm taking Trey Young over 27.5 points because all this guy does is shoot. All right, so let's get into the topic of the day, at least in college basketball. And like I said, basically it was Wednesday afternoon. Patrick Baldwin had already committed, and I assume the big college hoops news was done for the day. I actually was a little worried that Severe Wheeler, the guard from Georgia, was ready to commit. Instead, I do the show, finish up, getting ready to go on vacation, and boom, Ty Ty Washington, five-star guard, top available guard in high school basketball, the top player in high school basketball, Patrick Patterson committed, or Patrick Patterson, Patrick Baldwin committed on Wednesday, and then I finish the show and I see Ty Ty Washington is going to commit on Thursday, and as you listen to this now, it is officially official as Ty Ty Washington has committed to the University of Kentucky, giving them one of what is probably the final two pieces of their 2021 recruiting class. And let me just tell you, this is really big for a number of different reasons. First of all, for people who do not know, Ty Ty Washington, like I said, top uncommitted player, top uncommitted guard in high school basketball, Patrick Baldwin, not Patrick Patterson, again, is the number one uncommitted player. He commits on Wednesday. We'll talk about him momentarily. But with Ty Ty Washington, uncommitted guard I've always viewed him as more of a combo guard than a true point guard can get to the rim can score three level score but over the last year or so he has really blown up he initially committed to Creighton they had the issue with Doug McDermott he decides to decommit once he opens his recruitment basically everybody in college basketball gets involved Oregon LSU Arizona when Tommy Lloyd took over but ultimately he chooses Kentucky now, with Kentucky, this is huge for the following reason. Kentucky has what I believe to be a very talented roster, but the one thing they do not have is a true lead guard, table-setting guard, the guy that can get others involved. Ty Ty Washington is that. Now, is he more of a combo guard? Yes, we're going to get into it momentarily, but he is also a guy that can be a point guard, can be a table setter if the team absolutely needs him. And so when you look at the rest of Kentucky's roster, I actually really like how it has come together over the last month or so. I know it's easy to criticize John Calipari after a season like last year. I think it's completely justified, but when you also look at what he has done really over the last six months with this roster, but more specifically the last probably six to eight weeks, he's put together a very compelling team for next year. 
This was a team that was arguably the worst three-point shooting team in major college basketball a season ago. They go out, they get Kellen Grady, who has averaged at least 17 points per game in all four of his years at college basketball at Dayton, a four-time All-A-10 guard, also an elite three-point shooter. You add him. You add C.J. Frederick, one of the best three-point shooters in college basketball last year at Iowa. Oscar Shibway, who that's more of the six-month than six-week frame he commits from the university or west virginia university former mcdonald's all-american he is a true low post player you have a rim protector in damian collins and i've been saying for about three weeks now kentucky just needs a lead guard and if they can get him they got themselves a really good squad because they have rim protection with damian collins they have low post scoring with oscar shibway they finally have three-point shooting i believe that jacob toppin is an nba caliber wing in maybe a year or two but the one thing they're missing is with Ty Ty Washington, and now he sort of completes the puzzle. I think the bigger question is, is he the final piece? And is he the final piece? And the reason I ask is because there is kind of this idea that Severe Wheeler, the maybe the second best point guard in the transfer portal, obviously Remy Martin from Arizona State announced he was transferring a few days ago. So Severe Wheeler is probably the second best point guard in college basketball. And I'll tell you this. If Kentucky adds Ty Ty Washington, you know, Kentucky has officially added Ty Ty Washington. I think there are about a top 15 or so team coming into next year with a really high ceiling. But if they can add Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington, I don't know if they're top three. I don't know if they're top five, but I don't think there's six, seven, eight teams better than them coming into college basketball next year. Now, let's work under the assumption first that it's just uh, that it's just Ty Ty Washington, and if so, this is what I like about him. First of all, he is a table setter. He can get other guys involved. That, to me, is the biggest issue. You need somebody to set up all these great three-point shooters. doesn't matter if you have great three-point shooting if you don't have a guy to get him the ball. What was the problem last year? Yes, some of the guys were overrated. Yes, some of the guys didn't live up to, to the hype. But at the end of the day, you don't have a point guard that can drive in, defenses collapse, kick it out, three-point shooter. Not saying B.J. Boston wasn't disappointing. Not saying this guy wasn't disappointing. That guy wasn't disappointing. But if you have a, a, a guard that can create off the dribble, it changes everything for everybody, and that's what Ty Ty Washington is. And so now you have that guard that can create. You have that guard that can create for others. And it makes life for C.J. Frederick that much easier. It makes life for Dante Allen, who was a 40% three-point shooter, that much easier. It makes life for Kellen Grady that much easier. And when those guys are shooting threes, by the way, it also makes it easier for the guys down low. What I also love is, yes, this is a five-star freshman. It's always nerve-wracking giving the keys to the car to a, to a freshman in major college basketball. But the difference between this situation at Kentucky and last year, for example, is that he is going to be surrounded by veterans around him. So I'm not saying Ty Ty Washington is this kind of kid, but in a worst-case scenario, if he does have that attitude of, I'm one and done, I'm coming here for a year, I'm out, you know who ain't going to tolerate that? C.J. Frederick, who's been uh, in college basketball for three years, has seen what it takes to win at the highest level. He ain't going to let some freshman come in and tell him how things are going to go. Uh, Kellen Grady, four years in college basketball, NCAA tournament, ain't going to tolerate that nonsense. Um, Oscar Shibway, you think Big O is going to let him put up with that? No. 
And so what I like about Ty Ty Washington is he has a skill set that fits with what Kentucky needs. But then beyond that, he has veterans around him to show him the ropes. It isn't going to be a bunch of freshmen with him that don't really know what they're doing and they think they know everything. These older guys are going to come in. They're going to realize that they need to be coached. They know what it takes to win at the highest level of college basketball, and they are going to help him along. That is if Ty Ty Washington is the only piece. Now, what's more interesting to me is what happens if Severe Wheeler, the point guard from Georgia, commits? Severe Wheeler, like I said a minute ago, probably the second best guard in the portal behind Remy Martin, and there is increasing buzz over the last couple days. I believe his name is Sean Smith from Go Big Blue Country, who is a good friend of Jack Pilgrim's. You guys know I respect the hell out of Jack Pilgrim. They are basically both reporting, and credit to Sean Smith who had the initial report, that Severe Wheeler is leaning towards Kentucky, and frankly, by the time that you guys listen to this show, Severe Wheeler may be a Kentucky Wildcat as well, okay? And if you can get Severe Wheeler with Ty Ty Washington, then, oh my goodness, Kentucky is officially back. Again, I don't want to overrate them too much. Are they definitively better than Alabama? I don't know. Are they definitively better than Arkansas? I don't know. Are they definitively better than Gonzaga and UCLA? Probably not. But you talk about a team with a super high ceiling and a full offseason with John Calipari, a bunch of non-entitled players? Uh Uh-oh, watch out. Because what Severe Wheeler does is what even Ty Ty Washington doesn't do. First of all, he he is a, an experienced college point guard. He was at Georgia last year, led the team in scoring, second or first in the SEC in assists, fifth nationally with seven and a half assists per game. So now you put him on a team with better shooters, better three-point shooters, better low post scoring, and you let that guy loose? Oh my goodness. On top of that, You now have Ty Ty Washington, which is kind of a combo do-it-all kind of guy. I've heard the the analogy of what Emmanuel Quickly was for Kentucky a few years ago. I could see that absolutely. At that point, you're not relying on a freshman to take over the keys to the program. You're not expecting him to do everything for you as soon as he gets to campus. Instead, he can play off the ball, but he can also, in a pinch play on the ball, in case Severe Wheeler is having a bad game, in foul trouble, twists an ankle, Coach Calipari's mad at him, whatever. And you're now talking about a complete team. True table-setting point guard, true combo guard in Ty Ty Washington, and then all of the other pieces around them. And so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself on the severe Wheeler stuff because it is not official yet. And I will tell you, if it happens next episode, I promise I will talk about it again. I'm going on vacation in like 10 minutes, so let the man breathe a little bit. But if severe Wheeler commits, I love this team. Even if he does not commit, I still really, really, really like this team with Ty Ty Washington, but I think he'll be his in his best role to be kind of a combo hybrid guy isn't expected to just take the keys to the car and and go 100 miles an hour. And so I'm really excited to see how he will fit with Kentucky, how severe Wheeler could potentially fit with Kentucky. And I'll wrap by saying this, man. We criticize John Calipari. We crush John Calipari. And I will also say this. A a Kentucky fan sent me this note, and I thought it was really interesting, is that there are times in a coach's career where you can – become so beholden to your ways that you don't realize that the game has passed you by and that you need to adjust. And this Kentucky fan referenced Tubby Smith, whatever it was, 15 years ago, I believe, 2006 was his final season at Kentucky. And that Tubby Smith was a really good coach, having success, but not the level of success that you expect at Kentucky. And the problem was that he never really changed who he was when he was at Kentucky. 
and so eventually it ran its course and he had to leave. John Calipari, on the other hand, taking more of the Nick Saban approach. I'm not saying he's going to be Nick Saban. I'm not saying he's going to win multiple national championships late in his career. But Nick Saban, we've talked about it. He's adjusted. He's changed. Passing, uh, spread offense, RPOs, whatever. Now John Calipari has done it as well. He saw how bad last year went. He shook up the staff. He has shaken up this roster. And I really, really, really like it going into next year. Ty Ty Washington, by the way, not the only marquee player who committed on Wednesday. Patrick Baldwin, the number four ranked player in high school basketball, the top uncommitted player in high school basketball, basically widely regarded as, as the third best player. I know he's ranked number four, but every ranking is different. But Chet Holmgren, who's going to Gonzaga, is either one or two. Paolo Banchero, who's going to Duke, is either one or two. You can flip those two in any order. And then Patrick Baldwin is widely regarded as basically the third best player in high school basketball. And on Wednesday, he made his college choice finally for next season, and he is going to, drumroll please, terrible, I know. He is going to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. That's right. The blue blood of all blue bloods. Villanova thinks they're a blue blood. No, 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 no. University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee just signed the number three player in America. Take that, Villanova. In all seriousness, I think most of you know, but the reason Patrick Baldwin is going to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee is because his father is the head coach there, but it's still big news. Whenever a top five player in America commits to a college, I'm always going to talk about it. He has committed to the University of Milwaukee, choosing Milwaukee basically over Duke. It was those last two schools right down to the wire, but in the end, Patrick Baldwin, his dad, Patrick Baldwin Sr., is the head coach at Milwaukee, and so now he is going to the University of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I should mention really quick, 6'10", wing, can step out, can shoot, can store, really good play. So in terms of my reaction, I'll be honest, this is one like I don't have like this crazy big, oh my God, this is like, I think it's a cool story. I don't think there's a ton of meat on the bone. What I would say is, first of all, like I said, anytime that uh, a player commits, I'm going to talk about it. And, and anytime that a kid takes an alternate path, I'm going to talk about it. Obviously, it's, it's cool to play it safe, to go to Duke, to go to Kentucky, to go to UCLA. I also think it's pretty cool to follow your dad to, to Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And if it helps your dad keep his job for another year, if maybe he gets an NCAA tournament berth and he gets an extension, I'm all for it. I'm family first. What did I tell you? I'm going to the casino with family as soon as I'm done recording this podcast. And I have no problem when Jalen Green goes to the G League to help support his family. I have no problem when Cade Cunningham goes to Oklahoma State and it helps his brother get an assistant coaching job. I don't have any problem with any of this stuff. So I think it's kind of cool, and if it helps his dad, I'm all for helping family. Family first, right? Two, I think it's kind of cool that we kind of just get another kind of team to follow in college hoops next year. Yeah, we're going to watch Gonzaga and Duke and Kentucky and Carolina and Alabama and Arkansas uh, and whoever, Kansas, if I didn't say I'm Texas with Chris Beard. Yeah, those are going to be the teams that we watch on any given night. But it will be kind of cool, hey, ESPN tonight, it's like Oklahoma, Texas, or we can watch University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee where they have the potential second or third pick in the draft. Yeah, I might flip on that Wisconsin-Milwaukee game. Good for the school, good for the conference, good for the program. Kind of cool. I hope he does lead them to success. I think it'd be really cool if he took them to the NCAA tournament next year. Don't I'm going to be blunt. Don't really know how much talent is around him. Don't know how realistic it is. And I do think there is at least the possibility that he could, quote unquote, hurt his draft stock because he is going to be such a focal point of defenses, uh, opposing teams, scouting reports, things like that. 
But then finally, the only other thing that I would really say in terms of why this topic is of particular interest to me, I think from the college basketball perspective, the single reason it's the most important, it's, it's an important, interesting topic is Patrick Baldwin didn't choose Duke. And it was funny because I have a, a bunch of Kentucky fans that know me, follow me, whatever. And when he committed to Wisconsin-Milwaukee, one of them texted me and said, huge recruiting win for Kentucky. And it was tongue-in-cheek, but basically what he was saying was, hey, man, he didn't go to Duke, and that's good for college basketball because if you're not a Duke fan, now if you're a Duke fan, kind of disappointing, not really surprising, but for college basketball, for people who don't pay attention to recruiting in college basketball, Duke's going to kind of have a loaded squad next year. I've said since the day Paolo Banchero committed to Duke, Paolo Banchero widely regarded, as I said, as the number one or number two player in the country, Paolo Banchero is, in my opinion, the best going to be the most impactful freshman next season in college basketball. There was talk at one point that he was going to reclassify into this class. I think he would have been a double-double, all-conference kind of guy. He would have been in that top five conversation with, um, you know, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, all those guys. I think he could have done that this year in college basketball. Heck, I think two years ago, he could have been a major contributor in college basketball. I've heard my buddy Jack Pilgrim say the Kentucky team two years ago that had Emmanuel Quickly, uh, Ashton Hagens, Nick Richards, all those guys, that they basically believe that Paulo Banchero would have started for that team. Paulo Banchero basically picked Duke over Kentucky. Um, and basically, Kentucky thought they could, he could have started for us last year, and this past year, I believe he could have been one of the top players in college basketball. So the idea that Patrick Baldwin is not going to Duke to team with that guy, that's really important because it's not really just Paulo Banchero. Duke's going to have a really good squad next year. Duke, and I feel like it's kind of the same with Kentucky, and we'll talk about Kentucky in a minute. Duke has two of the top 10 high school players in America, Paulo Benchero, who I just mentioned, and A.J. Griffin, who, really interesting story, he's a top 10 player from New York, New York City area, and this year his entire high school season was canceled. And so I actually didn't know this, but I just read it. His dad is an NBA assistant coach, and A.J. Griffin basically went to train with the Toronto Raptors all year long, basically saying, if I can't play high school basketball, I might as well be around an NBA locker room, an NBA culture, an NBA training facility, all that stuff. And so this kid is now going to Duke next year after basically training like an NBA player for the last year. So they have those guys. They have, um, you know, Trevor Keels, another five-star commitment. They have a couple good players coming back from last year's team, Jeremy Roach. Um, Jeremy Roach, who am I missing here? Mark Williams, Wendell Moore. So Duke is going to be really good next year. So in terms of Patrick Baldwin committing to Wisconsin-Milwaukee, it's really interesting because it's his dad, but it's probably bluntly really good for college basketball they didn't end up there because that would have been bad for college hoops. One little quick topic. We'll take a break, come back with Tim Tebow. Um, Arkansas, another transfer. It's transfer season. Transfer season is basically done. I gave you my updated top 10 last week. But Arkansas, really quick, wanted to give them a shout-out as they pick up a commitment from a former top 50 player who I think has a chance to be a really good college basketball player. His name is Jackson Robinson. Like I said, he was a top 50 recruit in the class of 2021. He eventually reclassified, came, played college basketball last year at Texas A&M, and it didn't really work out. But at the same time, it's worth noting, last year was a weird year. He got to campus late, Texas A&M, Brought their, brought their players to campus especially late. And so when I look at Jackson Robinson, I think he is still a high upside guy, 6'7 wing, and I just believe that he is a player to me that frankly has a chance to uh, you know be really good 
for Arkansas next year. More specifically, what I like about Arkansas, love what Eric Musselman and his staff have done with that roster last this this offseason. They have shaken things up. Obviously, you're going to lose a lot of players off last year's Elite Eight team, but four marquee transfers. Chris Likes, a 15-point-per-game score from Miami. Uh, Audis Tony, a 15-point-per-game score from Pitt. Uh, Stanley Amude, 21 points per game at South Dakota. And now Jackson Robinson. All those guys are versatile playmakers, off the dribble, three-point shooters, and you what you now have is an athletic, skilled, modern-day kind of college basketball team in a lot of ways like an NBA team. And by the way, quick shout-out to Eric Musselman, who hired Keith Smart, former NBA head coach, obviously an Indiana icon as an assistant coach on Wednesday. And so basically what you're seeing is Arkansas is very much selling themselves as a place that can get you ready for the NBA. NBA coaching at the at the coaching level, NBA style, and it had success for Eric Musselman last year as, of course, they make the Elite Eight. Now, another nice commitment in the portal from a kid by the name of Jackson Robinson. All right, I think that is it for the basketball segment of the Aratora Sports Podcast. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, come back, and I do want to hit on the Tim Tebow news. I am amazed at the outrage and anger surrounding Tim Tebow. We will talk a little bit about that. We will obviously end on a little bit of a, a, a sad story, frankly, as Colt Brennan, the iconic former quarterback at Hawaii, has passed away. But let's take a quick break and come back and talk Tim Tebow. All right, so let's get into the topic of the day. I think you can argue maybe in all of sports. And it's interesting, and I mentioned this off the top, but it's worth reiterating, is this is actually a fun time of year for me to do the show. Because when I do a show like this, basically from about mid-August until the end of April, you kind of know what you're talking about every time you line up to do a show. You're going to talk about college football in the fall, college hoops in February and March. You're going to talk about the NFL draft. You're going to talk about transfer portal. You're going to talk about coaching carousel. But once you get to early May, mid-May, June, July, you get to kind of expand your horizons, expand your palate, do some things that you normally wouldn't do. And so today, I want to talk about a topic that I could have never imagined that I would be talking about when the college hoop season ended back in early April. Like if you had asked me in early April, hey, Torres, College basketball just ended. Baylor beats Gonzaga. What do you think you'll be talking about five weeks from now? The backup tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars would not have been at the top of my mind in terms of what's going to be a mid-May topic. Not going to lie. Kind of the truth. Wasn't expecting it. But here we are as it is the middle of May, and arguably the biggest story in sports as we speak is the fact that Tim Tebow, college football icon, is going to be at the very least, considered for a spot on the Jacksonville Jaguars roster. He signed a one-year contract this week. It's non-guaranteed, and it's worth noting what I just said. Non-guaranteed, one-year contract. Doesn't mean he's going to be a starter day one. Doesn't mean he's going to definitively even make the team. He's not sharing bunk beds with Trevor Lawrence in an apartment a mile from the stadium. It just means that this man is getting a roster spot. And so when I saw the news, like, it wasn't all that interesting to me for the exact reason I just said. Non-guaranteed, one-year contract. He could be selling insurance, working for the SEC network come September 1. But then I saw the outrage on social media, and I saw how mad people were getting the idea that Tim Tebow, oh my goodness, this college football icon who is a former first-round pick is getting a shot to play in the NFL again. And so when I saw the outrage, I felt like I had to talk, talk about it. 
because it isn't that often that something that a reaction to a topic truly surprises me. No matter what it is, NBA, NFL, Major League, like I kind of know what people are going to say when things happen, when stories come across my Twitter timeline, my social media timeline, whatever. But the reaction of Tim Tebow getting a shot with the Jacksonville Jaguars is insane. As people are saying, it's unfair. He doesn't deserve it. He's never played the position. Uh, this is basically the equivalent of a make-a-wish. He gets to do whatever he wants, play whatever sport he wants. And so let's get into the Tim Tebow stuff. First of all, let me reiterate what I said a minute ago. We have to remember, non-guaranteed one-year contract. Didn't sign a five-year deal. It's not worth $30 million. He's not the, uh, you know, he doesn't have a guaranteed spot in the, in the front office when he retires. Like, this is a one-year contract that is pretty standard across the board for free agents looking for a shot in the NFL. And it's worth noting that, like, there are some legitimate reasons to think that, like, in theory, he could make the team. Do I think he'll make the team? No. But is it inconceivable to me that he could earn a roster spot in the Jacksonville Jaguars? It's not. First off, he's only 33 years old. People are treating him like he's 50 years old, been retired from the NFL for two decades, and this is like uh, you know Mike Tyson coming back into the ring for an exhibition in his mid-50s when everyone knows that his best days are two decades behind him. Tim Tebow's 33 years old. There are guys from his original draft class who are still playing in the NFL to this day. Joe Hayden, his former teammate at Florida, still in the NFL. Jason Pierre-Paul, Tyson Alou-Alou. Like, like there are players that were not only in his draft class but are playing at a high level. Let's also not forget, whatever you think about the baseball experiment, he has been training as a professional athlete all along. So it's inconceivable that a guy like Antonio Gates or Rico Gathers or somebody who's been playing basketball their whole lives has never even played football, they can step into the NFL, they can be a tight end right away. But Tim Tebow, who played football his whole life, he couldn't possibly be an NFL starting caliber quarterback or NFL starting caliber tight end? Give me a break. Especially when you consider that it was only like six or seven years ago that we all kind of agreed exactly what I just said. Hey, Tim Tebow might not be a great quarterback, but man, if he just committed to playing the H-back, to being a, a, a blocker, to being a tight end, he could make it in the NFL. So four or five years ago, it was perfectly conceivable that Tim Tebow could be a starting tight end. But now it is insane and impossible and unbelievable. Give me a break. But on top of that, I will admit, I will say, I will readily admit, I, like, I, I can see the other side. I can see the argument that there are a lot of guys who were probably tight ends in the league last year who are probably all-conference, maybe all-American in college that are out of the NFL right now that do not have a roster spot that are more probably capable of stepping in tomorrow and being, a star, uh, being an NFL-caliber tight end than Tim Tebow. I will not deny that. But here's my question for you. Since when does the does every roster spot in professional sports always go to the best, most qualified, most talented player? Because you might think it does, but in reality, there's actually a lot of other variables into why guys get roster spots and why guys get, chan why guys get chances. Guys in the NFL get cut all the time because they're making too much money. Not because they're the worst running back or wide receiver or corner or safety in the league, but because they just make too much money. On top of that, there's the draft process. You go in the first round, you're going to get a shot whether you're ready or not. I don't know if Zach Wilson is one of the 32 best quarterbacks on the planet right now, 
But I know he is going to be one of 32 starters, knock on wood, assuming nothing happens in training camp where he's injured. He is going to play whether he is ready or not, whether he is really one of the 32 best starting quarterbacks or not. It's the same in the NBA. Why do all these guys want to get into the first round of the NBA draft when they leave college? It's because they know if you're a first-round pick, it's a four-year guaranteed contract. The organization is kind of stuck with you. They got to try to figure out a way to make it work. The difference between being the 30th pick and the 31st pick in the NBA is monumental because it means that much more of a commitment in the NBA. On the flip side, I'll give you an example. I use this example all the time. But Fred Van Vliet, who is now one of the best guards in the NBA, he made the last roster spot for the Toronto Raptors, 60th overall pick. And the only reason was, was because they had one roster spot open. If they had one extra first round pick that year or one extra first round pick the year before, he probably doesn't make that team, even though he has clearly proven himself to be one of the best guards in the NBA. He almost never got that shot because again, there was somebody with a guaranteed contract ahead of him who was going to get that spot. So stop selling me that the best person always gets the spot. By the way, and what I'm gonna say next is gonna offend some of you. I'm sorry, but I truly believe it, so you're gonna have to deal with it. How is this situation all that different from the Sarah Fuller situation at Vanderbilt? Remember Sarah Fuller, female soccer player, female kicker, brought onto the team. For the record, never talked about it on this show because I never had a problem. Didn't care. I thought it was kind of a cool story, to be honest. I thought it was great inspiration for young girls. Chase your dreams if you want to do something out of, you know, that's not normal to still go for it. I thought it was a cool story. But by the end, it was clear she wasn't the best person for the spot on that team. They didn't let her kick field goals. They didn't let her kick normal, you know, normal kickoffs. They had her squib kicking, and then there was another kicker that did all the other stuff. Sarah Fuller was not the most qualified person for that spot, but she got a spot. And again, I had no problem with it because, again, to me, I understand that in sports, the best person does not always get the spot. And so I find it interesting that the internet was, oh, my God, Sarah Fuller, this incredible story. But Tim Tebow is like this this awful, terrible human being because he gets a shot, even though he probably isn't one of the 64 best tight ends walking the planet, give me a break. It's the exact same thing. And by the way, you can love me, you can hate me, but the one thing you guys know about me, I'm consistent. I don't flip-flop based on uh, you know, what social media is saying or what's cool. I had no problem with Sarah Fuller because I thought it was a cool story, but I don't think anybody really thought she was the most qualified kicker on Vanderbilt's campus at that time. And I don't have a problem with Tim Tebow either. And finally, I would say... Let's be honest, most of us are adults that listen to this show. Maybe not all of you, but there's a lot of adults that listen to this show. We've all worked in offices. We've all worked for companies. And what happens when a company changes leadership? Most of us have been there. What is the first thing they do? They bring in their people. I have seen it time and time and time again in my own corporate uh, experiences. I'm in my mid-30s. I've worked for a lot of companies. I see how it happens. New person takes over, new boss takes over. They want to bring in people they're comfortable with, people that are comfortable with them, people that know the culture that they want to build and establish. It's no different at a a Fortune 500 company, at a media company that I've worked for, or Urban Meyer in the NFL. Urban Meyer wants to bring in people that are going to establish the culture in Jacksonville. He knows Tim Tebow's going to come in. He knows he's going to work. He knows he's going to stay out of trouble. He knows he loves football. He knows he's going to give it his all, whether he is good enough or not. And he knows he'll be a good mentor for Trevor Lawrence. 
Trevor Lawrence has arguably more pressure on him than any quarterback entering the league in, in many, many, many years. You know who else felt pressure when they walked in the league? Tim Tebow. You know who else was a decorated college football player? Tim Tebow. And so the idea that Urban Meyer is, oh my goodness, he's going to bring in his guy to show Trevor Lawrence the ropes, that happens in every business in every walk in America. Now, is it going to work? I don't know. Could Urban Meyer potentially lose the locker room if the backup tight end is trying to give the pregame speech instead of the head coach or the starting quarterback? That is definitely a possibility. I'm not saying it is going to work perfectly. I'm not even saying it's going to work at all. Like I said, Tim Tebow could be cut and working for the SEC Network by the time the college football season starts. But this idea that it is so inconceivable and so unfair and, oh, my good, how could he pop? I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. The best person doesn't always get the spot. People come in, change cultures all the time, and I have no problem at all with Urban Meyer saying, you know what, at least I know what I'm going to get from this guy. We're going to give it a shot. And, oh, by the way, if he's not that good, you know what happens? We're just going to cut him like hundreds of players get cut across the NFL every year. Last little topic, we will get out of here, and it is a little bit of a sad kind of note, and that is that Colt Brennan, who for people that are college or college football junkies, Colt Brennan's a pretty iconic player of about the last 10, 15 years, passed away on Tuesday at the age of 37. We'll get into all the details here in a moment, but for people who do not remember, Colt Brennan played for those early to mid-2000s Hawaii teams, okay? And for people who were a little young, weren't really into college football at that time, let me tell you, the 2006 and 2007 Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, they were basically like a cultural phenomenon. The way I was thinking about it today, they were kind of like Pac-12 after dark before Pac-12 after dark, okay? And so if you remember those teams, you remember. It was a lot of late Friday, Saturday night, you know, 1 a.m. Eastern time kickoffs, and they play this fun style, and at the time, they were winning a ton of games. I mean, Colt Brennan was the starting quarterback 2005, 2006, 2007. Um, in 2006, Hawaii went 11-3. and 2007, they went 12-1. and In the process, Colt Brennan turned himself into an All-American type quarterback, record-setting quarterback. At one point, they were on a 13-game win streak. But here were his stats in three years at Hawaii. 4,300 yards, 35 touchdowns, 13 interceptions as a sophomore in 2005. 2006, how about this? 58 touchdowns, 5,500 yards, 72% completion percentage, and then his third year, his final year, 4,300 yards, 38 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. That was the year that Hawaii finished 12-0 and went to the Sugar Bowl. They ended up losing to Georgia. But it doesn't change the fact that Colt Brennan in his time for a short window of two to three years, was maybe one of the two or three most exciting players in college football. Now, he overlapped with Adrian Peterson. He overlapped with Reggie Bush. So I'm not saying he was the best, the most entertaining. But here's the thing about sports in general, and and college football maybe more than others, is that you don't always have to be the best to be the most memorable. You think back to that era of college football. Troy Smith won the Heisman Trophy in 2006. And this is no disrespect to Troy Smith, Ohio State quarterback. But, like, Colt Brennan was the guy that year. Colt Brennan was the guy, 58 touchdowns in that season, throwing the ball all over the field, late nights, quirky uniforms, fun offense, scoring a lot of points. 
Hawaii was as fun of a team in their era to watch as basically anybody in college football. And like I said, sometimes in college sport, in sports in general, you, you don't always remember who won. You just remember who was the most entertaining. Like the year that Lonzo Ball was at UCLA, people aren't going to remember in 20 years that they didn't win the national championship. I mean, Kentucky fans will because they beat their brains in, in the Sweet 16. But people are going to remember like, oh my God, remember that year UCLA had Lonzo? That was incredible. Uh, the year Kentucky had John Wall. Duke won the national championship, but Kentucky was the team. Everybody talked about them. Everybody watched them. They were a phenomenon. It was unbelievable. 2015 with Kentucky, you could stay, say the same. Um, other, you know, times and years and moments and whatever. Justin Fields never won a national championship at, at, at Ohio State. You think Ohio State fans aren't going to look back memorably and fondly on the Justin Fields era at Ohio State and say, man, that was fun to watch Justin Fields for two years. And it was the same with Colt Brennan. And so unfortunately, as I said, 37 years old, he passed away. Uh, just reading some reports, I'll be honest, I don't know much about the situation, but he apparently got into a really bad car accident. Actually, while he was still in the NFL, played for a couple years in the NFL, got into a really bad car accident from there. There were some substance abuse issues. There were all sorts of things going on. But he passed away at 37 years old on Tuesday and again. There's another conversation for another day about how it happened, why it happened, could it have been prevented, all that stuff. But he will be remembered. For college football fans that watch college football in the early to mid-2000s, he was one of the most entertaining players, one of the most iconic players for one of the most fun teams to watch in the sport, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, who, of course, uh, made the Sugar Bowl in 2007. Just an incredible story, an incredible team, an incredible moment of time. And I do want to just say, rest in peace, Cole Brennan, who is, in fact, a college football icon. All right, that is it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, busy show, a lot of show. Uh, Tebow Plus, how about Tebow Mania is back? But that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. want to thank you guys for listening. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. By the way, the season is over. The numbers continue to be great. So thank you guys for your support. It means a ton. Uh, I appreciate everything that you guys do to keep this show going. So please, if you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars on iTunes. Uh, make sure you're following on social media. At Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Make sure you're following the YouTube page. So much to talk about, so much to get into. Let me know what I missed, by the way. But that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I will be back on Monday with a new episode of the Aaron Torres podcast. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm about to go hit a vacation.